Hey there, listeners. You're about to be treated to a show about anger and an interview with the amazing Lily Danzinger. So before we get started, I want to let you know that she's teaching a class on April 26th called Women's Anger in Memoir, and she is the perfect person to teach this course. I honestly can't think of many topics more important than sorting out how your anger manifests not only on the page, but also in life. And anger is such an easy emotion to access, yet in writing, we're told not to be too angry. Women especially are told not to be too angry. So if this is a subject you're grappling with or which feels intriguing to you, please check out Lily's class. The URL is kind of on the long side, so we'll post it in today's show notes, but you can easily find it by accessing Lily's website at lilydanziger.com and click the classes button on the menu. You can't miss it and you won't want to miss this class. Hello, ranters and ragers and agitators and those of you who from time to time might just want to burn it all down. This is Brooke Warner here on the weekly Right Minded Show with Grant Faulkner. And Grant, I wonder how you take these opening identifiers and if you think people might be a little turned off by me summoning the ranting and the raging for this week's episode. Well, you know, Brooke, I think a lot of people might not want to publicly acknowledge their ranting and raving tendencies um, because anger isn't in style. Anger has maybe never been in style, maybe not since the dark ages or something. Um, (laughs) But I think a lot of people are simmering with these kinds of emotions, whether it's just below the surface or right at the surface. And when I think about it, anger is as real and as powerful as love, I think. So, you know, now is as good a time as any to do a show on anger to acknowledge that, you know, anger isn't a fault. It's a legit emotion and it's got its uses and its moments. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the more inspiring show might be the show about what to do in response to our anger. And maybe we'll do that at some point, too. But I really wanted to bring Lily Danziger onto the show to talk about anger, because anger is an emotion that makes people so uncomfortable on the page and off the page. And it's often something that editors will tell writers to tamp down. It's something that can be wielded as an accusation, as women know all too well. I'm just thinking back to the 2016 Trump versus Hillary when Hillary Clinton was not allowed to be angry. And specifically that horrible debate where Trump was stalking her on stage and she could not acknowledge her outrage, even though he was literally being predatory. Uh, And in the aftermath of that, Rebecca Tracer wrote a book called Good and Mad about women's anger. And it was enlightening to me about how women get so boxed in around the appropriate expression of emotion and how it's limited to such a narrow margin. And basically, she's saying that women are seen as angry for being not compliant or for being um, not kind enough or for not smiling enough. And this shows up in our writing because uh, obviously the same thing comes up, right? Like if you're angry on the page or if your narrator is angry, people can have feelings about that too. And so I wanted to explore this with Lily uh, because she is an angry narrator and she'll talk about that later. And it's nuanced, of course, but in her memoir, Negative Space, and then she did an anthology, which is called Burn It Down, Women Writing About Anger. And that anthology is published by my beloved Seal Press, um, which is how Lily first came on my radar. Uh, And at the heart of that collection is a question, which is how do women express their anger? And the answer is, of course, that it's complicated, but also that it's limited. Definitely complicated and definitely limited. And you know, while you were talking, Brooke, I was thinking back to I guess my entree into this subject, which uh, was watching a lot of 
TV show reruns as a kid, you know, and, and most of those reruns were shows from the 50s and 60s, which really were kind of a, a study of women's roles in, in culture back then. And I remember one show, specifically The Honeymooners, and I think about this a lot because Jackie Gleason, who was the star of the show, and this is from the 50s, so just in case some of our listeners haven't watched it, he had this famous recurring line in the show because part of the comedic premise was that he would lose his temper and he'd get really angry. And, and even as a kid, like even though it was supposed to be comedic, I, I felt his anger as a, as a real, like, violent threat. And so he would bellow out these threats. You know, he'd say, one of these days, pow, right in the kisser, bang, zoom, or you're going to the moon. And, and his wife, Alice, played by Audrey Meadows, she was, you know, she handled these, these, like, bursts of anger really gracefully. And she'd say, ah, just shut up. But, you know, what I think I, I realize now is that he had access to anger. He could express anger, even extreme anger. And she mainly just had to navigate anger you know she had to find a way around it and so anger was a part of his communication toolbox in a sense and it wasn't a part of hers and in and thinking about other recent and famous examples of anger being expressed so differently on the public stage i think of the famous hearings with uh, christine blasey ford and brett kavanaugh it was it was striking in how kavanaugh used a rhetorical tactic of anger by ranting and raging and essentially you know seizing control of the discourse and so anger was available to him and and as a dramatic tool because I read that he actually decided to be angry after he came back from that break in the hearings. You know, it was a, a strategy to, to take control of the dialogue and it, it obviously wasn't really available to her in such a way. So I think the more we talk about this stuff, the more um, evident and, and stark it becomes, uh, Brooke. And, and I know you had Lily as a guest teacher in your fall memoir class, Women Writing Memoir, and she taught about anger. So, so what were some highlights uh, that came out of that? Yeah, you know, when planning for that class, Linda Joy Myers and I really wanted to feature certain aspects of memoir writing that we see as being hard for women to broach or aspects of memoir that affect women writers in unique ways. And there's a real sort of hot stove experience with anger on the page. You know, people can touch it and then recoil. Uh, writers who come off as angry can seem resentful or like they haven't resolved their issues or they're carrying a grudge or that they're not healed, you know, all sorts of, of stuff getting leveled at writers. Um, and it's a difficult balance in memoir, of course, because there are these great injustices that people are tackling. You know, people are the victims of real crimes like abuse or fraud or uh, betrayals. You know, they experience the fallout of real crimes. Um, you know, I've had a memoir student whose parent was murdered, or, you know, recently we had Ashley C. Ford, whose parent went to jail for rape. Um, you know, then there are things that are not criminal, but nevertheless quite terrible negligence, abandonment. You know, I can go on and on. And so the protagonists of these stories, the ones who have experienced these things, you know, firsthand, they're pissed, <laughs> you know, of course. And yet they're meant to show what happened in a somewhat dispassionate way. And oftentimes they're told to remove anger from their stories because anger is unseemly. So what I loved about Lily's class and this topic in general is that she was tackling it by saying, no, lean into it. And she will say that again in the interview today, you know, to give yourself permission to be angry, to feel anger. Um, and I read her memoir in the fall, getting ready for that class, but I listened to it um, just recently getting ready for the podcast today. 
Um, and it struck me, you know, all the ways uh, that she was angry. And she shows it in the scenes of her younger self who was raging and wounded. And, you know, so there are scenes where she's angry. And it's interesting to look at that, uh, where the character, the I is angry, but then the narrator is I don't know, I want to say less actively angry, but sometimes she's angry as well, you know, so there's this interesting play between the character in the story and the narrator of the story that is putting things into context and perspective. And so I think it's just a great book, Negative Space, uh, for writers to look at to try to see that difference in that contrast and what you have to play with when you are a character and the narrator at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting, Brooke, and one of the, the highlights of, of the interview with Lily for me was how she excavates layers of anger and how, how sometimes anger is a product of another emotion, uh, but not you don't re- kind of realize that at the time, you know, so it's something that you can you can excavate and uncover. And it, it's in, I guess that was interesting to me in part because I think America is is known as a culture that, you know, we privilege extroversion, but I'm not sure if we have a culture that privileges anger or confrontation. And growing up, I remember the prevailing ethos of the Midwest was, you know, what they called Iowa nice, which is, a, you know, a standard of basically being nice and polite in all situations, which can be admirable, except it doesn't allow for, for other emotions like, you know, if you feel anger at an injustice to be expressed. So, you know, I, I, I feel that that kind of ethos, you know, makes anger, you know, it can oftentimes be looked down on as if you're unhinged or unreasonable or uncouth, you mm-hmm. know, uh, when, when anger is often about the expression of, of a, a really deep truth and, and, and about sticking up for what's right. So it's, it's kind of primal in a way. And an expression of anger is akin to fighting for survival, I think. And it naturally makes people uncomfortable. But is, you know, I was thinking is telling someone not to be angry is essentially like telling them not to cry, you know, like you're, you're telling them to repress it and to cover it up as if it's inappropriate. Totally. So anyway, I've been, I've been thinking about my own relationship to anger and how it's changed over the years, because like Lily, I was a very angry teen. Um, as a young punk rocker, and I used to to like actually like reading angry texts. I liked reading uh, rants and manifestos because I was so angry myself. But now I like to read things that are more processed, more nuanced, more open, and actually more softer. Um, so anger is an emotion that carries danger with it, I suppose. So I try to calm it in myself uh, to find a way to seek resolution or a kind of you know appropriate way to express myself but um anyway i'm i'm just curious what what's your relation to to reading that kind of raw anger brooke yeah it's a good question because i think it's all in the execution um like i've read manuscripts that were definitely not ready one client i specifically remember working with was so angry at her ex-husband and her ex-mother-in-law to the point that those two were total caricatures you know they were so so awful that they weren't even human seeming And I think that's the danger in, um, you know, anger having the potential to taint reality. And this is where you end up hearing about vendetta writing. No one wants to read that, I assure you. Uh, And I think that's a reason that a lot of teachers of memoir will give the advice to have some distance from your experience, because it lends itself to exactly what you're just saying about nuanced, processed, and softer versions of events. Uh, And also... There's a real skill when a writer can make you feel empathy for a flawed character. I mean, we all know that, right? But I want to experience that kind of complicated emotion when I read. So 
before we go, you know, into too much other stuff too, I want to make sure to address polemics. Um, thanks for mentioning those. You know, it's a specific form and I love them. And I also love manifestos. So I love that your young self was reading those. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a real energy in the allowance of anger in books that profess themselves to be about tackling injustice. And some of my favorite feminist writers are, you know, have done this kind of writing so effectively. People like Jessica Valenti and Chimamanda Adichie and Rebecca Solnit, to name a few. Uh, so there's just a wide range of what is allowable in the expression of anger. And I thought it would be important to say something about those too. Um, Grant, I'm curious if there are memorable writers or books that stay with you that you feel like handled anger particularly well. Yeah, when I hear that question, I immediately think of David Wanarowitz's Close to the Knives, uh, a memoir of disintegration that was published in the 90s. And I mention it just because it's it's so beautifully written, it's so poetic, and it's so beautifully angry, if that's possible. It's an autobiography discussing topics such as his troubled childhood, you know, which included horrible child abuse and prostitution. Uh, but then he became a renowned artist in New York City. But then uh, he received an AIDS diagnosis in the late 80s, as did many of his friends. And he had to, you know, experience their death and his. And he's, you know, just very angry at America for killing him. You know, he calls America a murderer. And America was killing him in a variety of ways. So the anger is deserved. And it informs the prose in ways I've just rarely read. And, you know, the mantra of AIDS activism in that period was silence equals death. So his memoir was very counter to that silence. It was it was noisy and at times abrasive and confrontational, certainly. But he somehow managed to find a poetry in that anger. And I think that's what makes it so powerful is it wasn't just anger. It was something more than anger. Right. And I think what you're speaking to is just how he was able to find the craft, right? To find the language and the words to articulate that anger on the page. And I hope that all writers of memoir and novels, I mean, it's always the same thing, right? Uh, that you'll dive deeper into this and really figure out how to harness whatever that emotion is that you're trying to harness well on the page. Um, and maybe check out Lily's class that we've mentioned um, at the top of the hour and come up again in the interview. You know, this is sensitive territory. And while ranting and raving could, you know, scratch an itch of injustice, it won't win you readers. Uh, and yet, you know, what we're trying to say today is there's certainly space for anger. So I'm really eager to hear Lily's take on all this. Hang tight, and we will be right back after this short break. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to tell you about this wonderful NaNoWriMo event we have coming up. It's called Camp NaNoWriMo, and it's a virtual writing retreat in the month of April. It's free. All you have to do is go to NaNoWriMo.org and sign up for it and then set up a project for Camp NaNoWriMo, which means setting up a goal and a deadline for the word count you would like to write in the month of April. It doesn't have to be a novel. It can be a memoir, a script, an epic poem, a bunch of jokes, uh, a poem every day, whatever you want to write. So come to NaNoWriMo and we will help you write the writing project of your dreams. Look forward to seeing you in April.
Welcome back, everyone. We have Lily Danziger with us on the show today, and she is the author of the forthcoming First Love, an essay collection about the power and complexity of female friendship, as well as the memoir, Negative Space, which was selected by Carmen Maria Machado as a winner of the Santa Fe Writers Project Literary Awards. And she's the editor of Burn It Down, a critically acclaimed anthology of essays on women's anger. Lily has been widely published by Guernica, Literary Hub, The Rumpus, Long Reads, and elsewhere. Uh, she lives in New York City. And Lily, I'm just thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. I wanted to start by saying how grateful I am that you're a voice out there in the vast abyss who is willing to talk about the topic of anger and writing because it's such an important one. And I wonder if we could start on that thread with what inspired you to do a collection of essays about women's anger. Yeah, um, I, I agree. It's really important and should not be shied away from. Uh, I feel like there's so much anger in so many memoirs, but a lot of times it's not addressed head on. The collection actually came to me through Seal Press. The press approached me and asked if I wanted to edit an anthology on the topic of women's anger. And I, of course, jumped at it. I guess the editor had read some of my writing and I, I think followed me on Twitter and <laughs> just kind of guessed that I would be interested in that topic. And she was very right. Um, I was also in the middle of working on my memoir at the time and finding the anger in my story and trying to figure out how to articulate it. So it was just very well-timed in, in terms of that as well. Well, Lily, before you came on, Brooke and I were talking about how women and men have much different latitudes in terms of how they're allowed to express anger. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, given that you've done a lot of thinking about this topic, um, if you can share with readers why women's range of expression when it comes to anger is so, so small. And then has, has there been any improvement here in recent years, or do you think we're, we're just in a pretty stagnant place in, on this? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think in general women tend to be given a less latitude um, for a lot of things. I mean, anger, there's just a much lower threshold for when a woman is seen as being unreasonable, um, being, you know, overly emotional or irrational or, you know, whatever that is. Whereas, you know, speaking in generalizations, of course, there are exceptions and, you know, subcategories and distinctions and all that. But I think a man's anger is much more likely to be perceived as, righteous, right? Whereas as women are seen as overreacting and being emotional, but I think women have a lot to be angry about. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we, we do seem to be moving generally towards a little bit more space for that. There's a little bit more leeway, you know, and there are specific ways and contexts in which women's anger is starting to be seen as acceptable. Um, but it's still it kind of has to be within these narrow confines, you know, and it still has to be expressed in an acceptable way. A woman can say calmly now that she's angry, but if a woman actually gets angry, that still is a different scenario, I think. Point well taken on that. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about your memoir, Negative Space, because uh, so much of that book is about well, it's all about your dad, of course, but it's it's your reaction to losing him and to finding out about his um, drug addiction as you unfold the story of um, of of what happened to him as a young man and its impact on you. And so there's 
grief and there's rage and frustration and incredulity. Uh, and so uh, your book is really an exploration of his absence, but also coming to terms with the flawed person that he was. So it just struck me as also very human. Um, you know, anger is so very human. So could you talk about the evolution of your anger in writing memoir, and then especially on the heels of curating an anthology like Burn It Down, which in which you're seeing, you know, other writers anger and how they expressed it on the page? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so working on the memoir, there were, I had a lot of experiences where I thought I was writing about one emotion, and it turned out that I was writing about a different one. Um, and one of those was, you know, when I was trying to write about myself as a teenager, I knew that I was a very angry teenager. That was just apparent from my behavior. I dropped out of high school. I got into fights. I got into a lot of trouble. I did drugs. I was, you know, a hellion. Um, <laughs> and I remembered myself as angry, but in trying to write about that, I had to kind of dig a little deeper than just, you know, I was a pissed off teenager and try to really understand why I was doing the things I was doing and try and bring myself back into that headspace enough to articulate what I was really feeling and discovered the kind of obvious, well, it's obvious now looking back at it, but what I was really feeling was a lot of grief. Um, and that period was not long after my father's death, but at the time I didn't perceive that as grief. I just thought, you know, I was angry because the world was fucked up and there's a lot to be angry about. So in that, you know, that was one case where grief was masquerading as anger. And then later in the story, I was writing about, you know, trying to understand how my father actually died. You know, he, they never really gave us a clear answer, but it was through writing the story that I kind of came face to face with the reality that drugs were almost definitely a part of it, you know, even if not directly. Um, so in writing about grief in that case, I found a lot of anger that I hadn't known was there. Uh, so there were those a few points like that in the book where I thought I was writing about one emotion and then another one just kind of popped up on the page and I had to contend with it. And so this was all happening, you know, immediately before I started editing the anthology. Uh, the anthology came out first, but I'd been working on the memoir for a long time at that point. So when I started working with other writers, on their stories, I was already kind of familiar with this shape shifting that anger can do and was able to kind of prod them a little bit to dig deeper and say, you know, but why, <laughs> why did you feel that way? What might be underneath that? And I discovered that happening a lot in their pieces as well. That's so interesting to think about anger as a shape shifting emotion or as other emotions kind of being layered beneath it in an, even in an invisible way, at least at the time. Yeah. And you wrote in the intro, there's one line that really, really um, grabbed me that I think relates to this. Um, you wrote in the intro to burn it down a line um, that says our anger doesn't have to be useful to deserve a voice. And I guess I, in, in my mind, I imagine somebody pushing back on that a little bit in a writing workshop. Um, yet, yet I agree with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you think that anger has had useful purposes in literature in eras past and why in modern times we're so triggered by anger in literature, hmm. or maybe we're only triggered by anger in personal narratives. I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this. Yeah. I mean, I think anger can be very useful, but you know, that line I was kind of thinking about what I was saying earlier about how there are certain very specific parameters where it's 
and culturally acceptable to be angry, right? It's it's okay if you're harnessing anger into activism and you're you know using anger to fuel a movement. And I think that's good and very important. But I think sometimes it's enough just to feel angry because you've been wronged because something is is wrong, right? And and you know it and you're feeling a natural reaction to it, which often is anger. Um, and that can be enough, right? That can be enough to deserve space and air and all of that um, without you immediately having to turn around and do something useful with it, right? I think that's actually a very kind of capitalistic way of looking at it, right? You're allowed to have an emotion as long as you're doing something productive with it. But that's not how humans work. <laughs> we just, we have our emotions naturally, often automatically, often subconsciously. Uh, and we might eventually put them to some external, you know, righteous use, but I don't think that's a necessity in order for the emotion itself to be valid. So that's more, I guess, like the cultural context. But then I think whatever our cultural hangups are, are always reflected in the literature that we're writing at the time. Um, and so and similarly, right, we have like revenge narratives and you know, these plots where, yes, the protagonist is angry, but their it's their anger fuels them in a just cause, right? But I wanted to also make space for people just to feel angry because something has happened to them. Maybe they don't know what to do with that anger, and maybe they don't even realize that they're angry, but it still is driving them and, and driving their actions. I think that's just as important. Well, Lily, uh, we wanted to share with our listeners that you have a class coming up called Women's Anger in Memoir on April 26th. And I did a little ad spot for you at the top of the show because I want every woman memoirist to attend this class. Thank you. Can you share one thought you have around how to approach memoir from a craft perspective on this topic? Like, what would you say to a memoirist who's been given the feedback that they seem too angry on the page? Hmm. Uh I would say lean into it. You know, if you're, if anger is appearing on the page, don't try and tone it down and hem it in and make it more acceptable. I think right into it and right into the feeling of it and also the story behind it, right? Why is that anger showing up on the page? What is it in reaction to? Um, and if you write into it, you might actually find that it's providing some really important connective tissue in the story. It might lead you to, the thing that you really need to be writing about, even if you didn't realize that at the time. Well, Lily, this is shifting topics a bit, but we're always interested in authors who come on the show who have had indie publishing experiences in the truest sense of what that means. And you published with Seal Press, which is now part of the the big four and five, I lose track, mm -hmm. but but whose legacy is decidedly indie and feminist. And then you published your memoir on Blackstone. And I see you have a new book coming out. So We'd love for you to share your insights on your publishing journey and what it was like to break into the indie scene. Yeah. Um, so Blackstone did the audiobook for Negative Space, but the paperback was published by the Santa Fe Writers Project, which is another uh, totally independent small press. Um, and I, there's a lot that I like about the small press world. You know, I, I really appreciated um, getting to have a stay at every step in the process, you know, and getting getting to really push for my vision of what the book should be. Negative Space was a difficult one to find a home for, partly because it is also an art book. Right? It's a memoir, but it's full of images. And 
anything that's unusual or hybrid or trying to do more than one thing at once or trying to do something at all unusual is usually scary to the big guys who uh, are less, uh, you know, nimble, less able to take risk. But independent publishers love a risk. They love an interesting, new, fresh book. Um, so SFWP was the perfect home for a negative space for that reason. You know, they were excited by the fact that it was something unusual. And they also allowed me to, you know, have a lot of leeway in saying exactly how I want the images distributed in the book and, you know, trying a couple different printers to find the one that would deliver the best quality for the images and, you know, just letting me kind of do my thing and not trying to make it into a commercial mainstream memoir, which it wasn't and was never going to be. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Lily. One thing I wanted to follow up on is I read a piece on your one of your posts, I think it was for uh, Electric Lit or something about your um, your publishing journey. And you, you mentioned that you had originally had one deal that you let go because they weren't doing enough for you. And I know how hard that is, especially when you're a brand new writer who's just excited that someone has accepted this memoir that has been so very difficult to find a home for in the first place. So I just thought if you could share one word about following your truth on that. I mean, it must have been hard to let go of the possibility, but it sounds like in your heart, you knew it was the right thing. It was terrifying. Yeah, It's like one of the scariest, uh, you know, leaps I've, I've ever taken in my professional life. And probably the scariest, um, walking away from that deal, not knowing if there would ever be another one, you know, but I just, I just knew that I would regret it if I settled, mm. you know, and, and that I had worked so hard on this book. I didn't want to put it out into the world in less than ideal circumstances, you know, and they, it just was clear to me that that press was not going to give me the platform that I needed to really get it out into the world and to find readers beyond, you know, people who already knew me and were waiting for the book. And it took another like five years almost to end up with SFWP, but it was absolutely worth it. You know, there's so much, uh, there's such a sense of urgency in so much of this process. You know, everybody's always trying to finish their book, trying to query by this date, trying to get it out by this date, you know, trying to publish by 30 or whatever, these arbitrary deadlines. Um, I think the biggest lesson that I took from that whole process of working on a book for 11 years is that I was in a hurry the whole time and it didn't actually make it go any faster. It just stressed <laughs> me out. <laughs> yeah. And so I've tried to kind of take from that that creative projects take the amount of time that they take and that's okay and good. That's so insightful and, and I imagine very helpful for our listeners. So thank you. Well, as our final question, given that this you know, topic today has been circling women's anger. Um, and because I think it's such an important topic, could you speak to the difference between showing anger in scene mm -hmm. contrasted with the nuanced perspective of your wise, older, reflective narrator? And, you know, if you have another memoir, maybe that you turn to in this that you thought, oh, that person did what you were attempting to achieve. I always love to hear that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think the character me and the narrator me in Negative Space are both angry, <laughs> um, <laughs> just to kind of in different ways. You know, I, I was writing about the, you know, my younger self driven by a lot of anger 
without analyzing it or questioning it. You know, just just feeling feeling it and going on instinct in it. A very kind of I wrote about my teenage self almost as a wild animal because that kind of is what I was and how I was acting, um, just going purely by instinct. Um, whereas the narrator version of myself, you know, is like 15 years older than the character version, is confronting a lot of anger on the page and kind of going through the actual process in real time of accepting it and facing it and making space for it and learning to have a kind of healthier relationship with it so that it can be there without consuming me you know and and I think ultimately that's the that should be the goal with anger is, is not to try and purge yourself of it but to make a healthy space for it in your life so yeah those were two very different kind of forms that it took on the page but I think both were really necessary and important Let's see who does it well. I mean, Lydia Yuknovich, Chronology of Water. I think she writes anger really, really well, and I think actually kind of has a similar thing where she writes about, you know, her, her younger self doing a lot of destructive things and and being fueled by by anger and hurt and grief and you know a lot of heavy things that she doesn't quite know how to deal with at that point in the story, and her narrator self is definitely you know wiser and more self aware. Is still angry, right? It doesn't mean that you grow out of that. It just means that you know how to articulate it and you understand it better and you're maybe not as driven by it, but it's still very much there. Thank you, Lily. Yeah, thanks so much. This was so interesting to think about this topic. Yeah, thank you. Always happy to talk about this. <laughs> we will be right back with today's book trend. Well, Grant, I sort of hate it when the book trend is negative, but that's just the case sometimes. And Mm -hmm. since today's show is about anger, uh, it seems appropriate to have the book trend, which is about scammers, to be something infuriating. Uh, And so I wanted to draw listeners' attention to movie deal scams because some of my authors have received emails from scammers who look to be Netflix. Uh, And just recently, Victoria Strauss did a blog post titled, Alert, Scammers Impersonating Major Motion Picture Studios. And so this is happening both with Netflix impersonators and Universal Studios impersonators. So I thought we should, uh, you know, make sure our authors and out there are on the alert. Yeah, I've, I've experienced uh, scammers personally as a writer since I decided to become a writer, you know, since somebody had my information and sold it, to, you know, um, <laughs> to somebody. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'm also very aware of, of the, the volume of book spanners just by being here at NaNoWriMo because I get approached all the time by very dubious people with very dubious bills and business plans, put it that way. And I always do thorough research and sometimes through Victoria Strauss, which uh, she is an amazing uh, resource in case you don't know her. Um, she does write, it's called Writer Beware. Is that right, Brooke? Right. That's her website. Yeah, it's fantastic. She she thoroughly researches this stuff and exposes stuff and she's a wonderful resource. So everyone should, should check her out uh, because authors need to be careful always, but, you know, especially these days. And as, as one writer who would love to sell a show to Netflix, I can see falling for that, Brooke, getting really excited. Wow, they want me. They're searching me out. They're having read my material and they want to produce it. So <laughs> other than that, how did you know that the Netflix email that your authors got was a scam? I mean, honestly, at first I didn't because the letter email at face value really looks 
legitimate. You know, it has the logo, an email address that sounds legitimate, netflixoriginalsworldwide.com. The problem is that when you go to that URL, it doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. And then you read the email more carefully and the language is off. Like one line read, budget and the production team is now ready for the project to commence. (laughs) Uh, So it's, you know, poorly written, but it's also not how people talk. uh, And it's also just not how business gets done. It's certainly not how film and TV projects get made. Yeah, that's funny. It's easy to duplicate a logo and it's easy to duplicate an email template. But just how you said it, that's how I usually deduce a scam. You know, the URL is questionable and definitely like crappy copy. I'm amazed that they they do everything so well except the language. (laughs) Totally. But that said, I know you've had a a few of uh, the books you've worked with either made into films or optioned for films. And so I wondered how in those cases you knew it was legit. Yeah, well, I do want to give a shout out to our author, Lisbeth Meredith, whose book is called Pieces of Me and whose film is called Stolen by Their Father, which is just out this month on Lifetime. And yeah, it was a big deal, you know, with someone first writing to ask about whether the rights were available. This is the most common way that agents or even heads of acquisitions at studios would ask about film and TV rights. The money has to get sorted out long before production commences. Uh, So authors just need to keep that in mind. And when they see an email offer that looks too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Wise parting words, too good to be true. Um, It's so hard because scammers are capitalizing on people's dreams or their fears. And I guess that's why it works. But Brooke, just want to congratulate you and She Writes Press on this recent book turned movie. That's super exciting. And, And to all you writers out there, dreams do come true sometimes, but be mindful of how much people want to take advantage of you too. So you got to keep everything in perspective once you become an author. Yeah, so, so true. So we hope that these trends are helping you to do just that. Keep some perspective and we will be back in your queue every single week, always with more perspective. We so appreciate you hanging with us. Uh, It's been a while since we've asked for reviews and likes, you know, stars, all that stuff. I know that on Spotify, maybe that's not even possible. But if you have the possibility to click that, please do, because it does help us discover uh, new listeners or the other way around for listeners to discover us. Uh, Anyway, we're happy that you're listening to us. So thank you. And we'll see you next week. 